Docker containers changed how engineers think about building software, and the company most responsible for the widespread adoption of containers is Docker itself. It is not only an open source project, but it is a company. Since containerization has caught on in the mainstream, companies like Red Hat, Google, Huawei, and many other big players have built platform products that utilize Docker containers. Docker containers are the unit that many engineers are using to deploy their applications, but the servers that run those containers are usually on infrastructure providers like Amazon, Google, or Rackspace. This raises the question, how will Docker, the company, make money? They've raised around $180 million in equity, so they have plenty of time to find something that works, and I'm sure they will. But there are suspicions in the open source community that the aggressive changes to the open source Docker project are being made by Docker, the company, with the long-term objective of monetization. These changes... Specifically, we're talking about this default support for Docker Swarm, and we'll discuss this much more in this episode if you have no idea what I'm talking about. These changes are not directly nefarious, but they are changes that might be less likely to occur if Docker were just an open source project, as opposed to an open source project being tended by a well-financed company. The new stack is a news outlet that broke this story about the potential Docker fork. And Alex Williams and Job Jackson of the new stack join me on today's episode. They have been following this story closely. And we go deep into the facts and the speculations about why a fork might occur, the motivations of different key players like Google and um, Huawei. And we also talk about the disputes within the community that have led us to this moment. Um, you know, this episode is somewhat of a news type of episode, or like, is it, you know, maybe perhaps maybe framed as less of a show about, you know, how are you actually doing your engineering? It's more about, you know, open source governance, open source communities. I think these are very relevant topics to software engineering. Um and I realize this topic is somewhat salacious, it's somewhat controversial, so if you have any feedback on it, if you think I got anything wrong in my discussion, or if the guys from the new stack perhaps got anything wrong, please let me know. I would love to know, I would love to be proven wrong, um, and I would love to have continued discussions about this Docker fork and what might arise as a result of it. So, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode. Please give me any feedback, and please share it if you enjoy it, or share any other episode you like with your friends. Thanks for listening. Alex Williams and Job Jackson are writers for The New Stack. Alex and Job, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So I would like to get into a conversation about Docker and the Docker fork eventually. But first, I would like to start by talking just a little bit about the new stack so listeners have some context for who you are. Alex, why don't you explain what the goals of the new stack are? Well, the new stack focuses on application development and management at scale. And our focus is, in, is really on explanation analysis. So we follow the news cycle, but we're not beholden to it. We believe that these are times where the, the technology development is quite rich and the choices are tremendous and the technologies are often not explained um, or really looked at um, objectively to help people understand what they're all about. And so we feel we really feel that's our that's our job really is to uh, you know, help people better understand these technologies and and how they're used and the the blog is really primarily for uh, developers and people who manage applications at scale. Yeah, and what 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 I like about the new stack is that it fits right under the purview of the type of journalism that I like. Like I don't care much about politics. I don't care about sports. Right now, the exciting stuff, as far as I'm concerned, is technology. And the new stack writes about software engineering, software architecture. This is exactly the stuff 
that I spend my time thinking about, and the Newstack writes about it in a way that is entertaining. I don't read any sports writers, but I imagine if I did, those sports writers would be writing about sports probably in a similar way to the new to how the Newstack writes about containers or orchestration layers or cloud service providers. Um, and I like that. I like that it's both entertaining and very informative. Um, so the new stack was founded, like you said, to write about these new technologies, these new infrastructures, and you have risen in prominence as a news and information source in parallel with the rise of Docker. And today I do want to talk about Docker with both of you. So why don't you give me the journalist's perspective for how you have seen the Docker ecosystem unfold? Maybe talk about like Prior to this fork stuff that we're going to be talking about, how have you seen the Docker system unfold, and how has it impacted the area that the new stack writes about? Well, when we started the new stack, it really became evident right from the start that Docker would be a big part of our coverage and who we are. And that just, I think, was apparent in how popular the movement uh, really became, really since its start. And I think one of the first posts I wrote was about the symbolism of Docker. And I think that's probably what's most significant and really what has helped us, you know, define what this new world's all about. The the factors that, you know, uh, that attribute to why Docker is popular come from the increased demand for uh, applications, uh, the, the amounts of data that um, are available for, you know, uh, that people are trying to manage, the, uh, the ability to use cloud services. There's all these factors. And then you have the whole technology stack itself changing uh, quite rapidly. And Docker became really a symbol of that. And what's become apparent over time is that Docker initially served as something quite symbolic for the developer community, but it also has proven to have real significance uh, for people in operations. And Docker, to me, seems like a real uh, symbol of application development and management scale, and as a kind of and as and as a sort of a common uh, environment uh, for helping that DevOps movement, so to speak, uh, really materialize uh, because there is this, you know, interest in, in, in Docker and containers from both, you know, the developer perspective and the operations perspective, but increasingly that, you know, that individual who thinks of themselves as both that developer and that person who um, have more understands more about operations than ever before. And so that's really opened up quite a uh, you know, quite a you know quite a landscape for uh, what we can cover and so we can cover you know increasingly we can cover you know the the tools for application development and management at scale we can cover the uh, the infrastructure technologies and I think it'll help us extend ourselves into covering you know the data streaming world and you know all the new worlds that are coming on with the ability to use, data more effectively and layering them into your applications. Yeah. What's the current business model of Docker, the company? I don't know, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not really so sure myself. I know that um, uh, I, I know there are a number of business plans around after offering a, um, a, uh, a, a container registry as well as a hosted uh, containers as a service, uh, in terms of uh, but in terms of the overall uh, 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 business strategy, I'm not really so sure, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, I think I think if you look at it from who they partner with, they they have major partnerships with uh, with Azure. They have a partnership with AWS, and they have a partnership with HPE, and that i think serves as a you know as a foundation for you know reaching into 
I would expect that enterprise, you know, developer community. The, I see. Yeah. So th- that that's I think, you know, part of it. I think also they're trying to be a provider that offers, you know, containers as a service, and they are, you know, they I think that you know they have, they really th- seem to be focusing on that as their standalone uh, service that they provide. Now, are do you have any? I mean, assuming I, I'm guessing since you don't, since you aren't sure about the business model, and I'll say that makes three of us, by the way. Um, do, do you have any perspective on are customers buying what Docker offers? I think first of all, we have to understand that you know Docker is three years old, yeah, and they they developed a great way to kind of package applications, right? I mean, that the, the the application delivery and that has become such a movement, um, but it's still quite unproven in terms of how it can be actually used in production. We are starting to see proof that containers are being used in production, but in many different contexts. So we see it with, for example, in an orchestration environment. So we're starting to see containers in production, you know, using Kubernetes, for example. We're starting to see some examples of Docker being used, um, you know, by, you know, by large, you know, companies, I think it's ADP, you know, and was one of the companies on stage at DockerCon and saying that they're using it. And so I think that's really the big question is, you know, who is using it and how they're using it and, you know, what is the breadth and depth of that, of that, of that client base? Yeah, well, th- you know, the, the challenge, as it seems to me, and this is where we'll, you know, we will slowly get into the discussion of the fork, um, is that the, you know, we, we ha- we've we had examples in the past of companies that are based off of open source projects, like companies like Red Hat or Cloudera, and to me, Docker seems slightly different because you take the Red Hat model or the Cloudera model of offering support in conjunction with an open source service. That's kind of the classic open source business model. And that business model doesn't really seem to work in the case of Docker because it seems like the money is in the... I mean, maybe there's money in the in the, in the container layer, but it seems like more, there's more money in the, in the container orchestration layer. And that's really where we get into what people are bickering about with Docker layering in support for their own orchestration layer in the open source command line tool. And that's that's kind of what has people concerned. Is like, you know, is you know, is 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 the layering in of the the swarm tool? Is that about functionality and utility, or is it more about uh, getting people onboarded with a default orchestration layer of swarm? and then upselling them. I mean, does, does that sound accurate? Is that an accurate depiction of the frictions between Docker's project and the business viability? I mean, you know, certainly if you're going to include orchestration capabilities, a fair amount of, I would imagine, Docker's business plan would be be around support, and orchestration is just another component that would need to be supported at the... Uh, enterprise level uh so yeah i mean i I would see that of course docker wants to present the whole ecosystem to the enterprise uh as you know a single kind of integrated offering and enterprises tend to like that as well uh so that that plays in uh that would play into the uh um uh the uh, business strategy no doubt uh but i think when well, I, when we get to the fork, I mean, I think there's other reasons, uh, potential fork, I'm sorry, I think there's other reasons uh, behind that. But uh, yeah, sure. Uh, increasing complexity is always a good, um, uh, it always, it always is a good way of uh, generating uh, support business. Alex, is it, do, do, do my depiction sound accurate? Yeah, I think the question about Docker really is, is it a component or is it a product? And... Docker wants to treat it as a product, and the rest of the market wants to treat it often as a component. And that's, I think, the real distinction there, you know. And 
Docker is increasingly, you know, making the efforts to differentiate its product in an open source community. And that I think is the challenge that it faces as, you know, with its business model. How do they provide that continued innovation around their Docker platform while also maintaining, you know, uh, it as a component that is available, you know, that the open source community uh, can rely on? So we, we've seen these larger companies get involved in Docker, Google, Huawei, Red Hat, there's others. So are, are these companies just using Docker or are they influencing the direction of the software itself? Are, are, you know, do companies like Google and Huawei and Red Hat, do they have governance influence on the direction that Docker goes? Well, I know that uh, uh, actually Red Hat is one of Docker's largest uh, contributors. As far as governance goes, uh, I know also know that Docker, or I'm sorry, that Red Hat has uh, voiced uh, uh, vo- frustration at times at not being able to get all their patches uh, in upstream as well. So, uh, yeah, yes and no. I think that's where these organizations start to play a role, right? So where you start to see the uh, the significance of the Open Container Initiative, for example, and the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. And that's where the governance, I think, mostly resides. Otherwise, you know, with these company-driven open source projects, it's really the company that's really managing it. That's part of the fight that's going on now, actually, is, you know, who should ultimately control uh, the code base? Should it be Docker? Uh, which wants to add features as quickly as possible, or should it be OCI, which wants to standardize everything and just leave at least a common base that all all companies, not only Docker, but uh, Docker, other companies in the Docker ecosystem can build from. Indeed. So let's get to this story about the Docker fork rumors. When did you first start hearing about a Docker fork? You know, uh, the the discussions about a Docker fork have actually been going on for quite a while. And I mean, I remember first hearing about it, you know, from just technologists who were curious, you know, following DockerCon about the announcements there and what would it mean? What does it mean with Docker Swarm integrated uh, directly into Docker Engine? And for those who are not familiar, uh, Docker Swarm is the Docker is the orchestration platform developed by Docker. It competes directly with uh, Kubernetes, and Docker Swarm, uh, by being integrated into uh, the into the Docker engine, uh, created then some you know real issues I think for the community. Um, because now that it was baked in, you know, what, you know, what were the, what were the choices that, you know, that the developer would have and what would that mean for the general, you know, the larger ecosystem? Even before that, there had been growing uh, voices about uh, Docker's rapid release schedule and the adding in of new features, particularly the new features that weren't fully baked in yet. And uh, so there were grumblings here and there about that, especially from partners who would be, who would have to implement these things on behalf of their customers. Uh, but it was the inclusion of Docker Swarm that really, I, I think, uh, pushed things into open conversation. Yeah. So um, the doc, you know, it must, it should be noted that the Docker orchestration capabilities are opt-in and they must be activated by the user. But the concern is that by many is that. Um, by by not opting in, it may lead to backward compat- com- compatibility issues down the road. So that then surfaced discussions about long-term support and what would Docker's long-term support be. And I don't think Docker's been real clear about that. I think what they cite is, you know, you can subscribe to Docker Data Center and by doing that, then you get the longer-term support. But in terms of the open source community, there were there were 
concerns about Docker breaking on them um, and, you know, issues about deprecation. And these are the types of problems that were becoming, you know, part of the overall dynamic here. Now, it, it must really be well, it must be noted that there's a lot of, you know, financial, there's a lot of economic interest in, you know, in this because of the significance that it has. Technology stacks are changing dramatically. And, you know, we've gone through this era of virtualization and virtualization became, you know, the, the, the standard inside open data centers. But the difference really, you know, emerged with, I think you can argue, AWS and this ability to use compute um, in a manner that you could not do before. You know, whereas, you know, you know in, in the world of the, you know, the enterprise data center, it was mostly just about, you know, uh, the limitations that you have. You know, now, now there's really not those limitations really at all. You know, I was actually listening to, uh, um, what is it? Uh, I forget the name of the podcast. So I'm going to... Cloudcast, I bet. Cloudcast, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I'm psychic. Yeah. That show and is great, Cloud- by the way. I need to get those guys on this show. That that show's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, they're they're great guys, and they had uh, Keith on. I can't remember Keith's last name. Do you know he's a VMware, um, uh, not evangelist, but he's a, he's a, you know he he really understands he's a, the the VMware community, and and there were discussions that the CIO at VMware was very open that you know, VMware developers are using AWS, you know. And, and so the, this is this is significant, and so this is really what's at stake here. There's billions of dollars at stake. V- here. VMware does have a competing product, right? To AWS. I mean, it's like you know, containers in a VM on top of a, you know, on top of a hamburger. I don't know. I right. mean, it's like a, yeah, you know, it's like a federation of uh, service providers all under the all using an interoperable vSphere. Uh, uh, backplane, I guess you would call it, from my understanding. So, so, so then you, so you have these economic interests at play, and here comes Google, and Google really hasn't made much of a play in the cloud market whatsoever over the you know over the past several years. It's been dominated by AWS. Azure has, you know, is is you know easily the you know second in the market, and. They were said, "Wait a second! We've been using containers for years. This is this is all, but this this is our world." I really think that they see this is really kind of an opportunity to you know to to make a real commercial play, you know, in in the in the cloud services community. Because if you look at Kubernetes and you look at you know how it's integrating, it's it's really you know fitting in, trying to fit in all the pieces, uh, you know, to to make to to make Kubernetes work you know, very seamlessly uh, with Google Compute. Yes. With GCE, Google Compute Engine. Indeed. And this is what, to me, seems like is at the heart of this fork discussion. It is, I think it's, it seems fundamentally to me about the, the idea that the money is in who is vending the compute, and Google is going to win that battle against Docker any day, and when you look at the Docker, uh, the, 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 I mean, as I understand, the, the push to bake in support for Swarm, it to me seems like a grab at the uh, orchestration that Kubernetes would otherwise be doing. Now, the alternative way of looking at it is perhaps the, there's no one-size-fits-all orchestration uh, and just like in frameworks, you know, some people are going to use Ruby on Rails, some people are going to use Spring. Um, you know, there's no one size fits all, um, and there's going to, you know, you can have all kinds of things. Maybe it's maybe it's great. Maybe everybody's going to need an orchestration layer, and you might as well have one that's convenience, where you can just kind of say, okay, easily get a, my Docker Swarm up and running, uh, migrate to Kubernetes later on if I want to. Um, I don't know. I can see different ways of looking at this baking in um, swarm support. Um, so, you know, I think one way of framing this: there's a quote from Bob Wise in your article 
uh, about Docker, the Docker fork, which is wh- wh- what the, where this podcast is based on. By the way, anybody who hasn't seen this Docker fork article should go and read it immediately. It's a great, great read. There's a quote from Bob Wise, who works at Samsung. Um, Samsung recently acquired Joyent, and the quote is: "If your team is working deeply in Kubernetes or Mesos or Cloud Foundry, you need a stable, simple, boring container implementation with minimal essential characteristics." And this is obviously in contrast to the fast-moving idea of Docker. Um, why do people need simplicity today? Well, and, and this really does get to the, uh, the, I guess, the heart of the matter. Um, the enterprise, the data center need, needs simplicity at the container level because they need to be able to not only build on top of it, but also maintain it for, you know, five, ten years down the road. Uh, when you're architecting these systems, you have to architect them for long-term continual use. Uh, you can't keep going back and changing around the API because at that point you have too many containers that are reliant and you just have too many edge cases. Uh, and this kind of gets to, to, from my perspective, that kind of gets to the, the heart of the matter is there had been containers before Docker uh, but Docker appealed to the developers in a way that none of the other offerings had for a variety of reasons, one of the, which is it made it completely seamless to run, you know, build an application and then move it off to a server and then not have to worry about deployment issues. So Docker was an easy sell for developers. Uh, for the operations community, for the system administrators out there, that's anything but a given. Uh, they don't, you know, what is this container thing? You know, we had this before. You'll hear a lot of those type of arguments. Uh, but, uh, and so one of the interesting things we saw was the week after Docker made the announcement of uh, Docker Swarm, Red Hat had its Red Hat Summit. And it was, it, it was interesting to see the contrast between the two. And it felt as if Red Hat was uh, responding to the Docker Swarm uh, by saying no, OpenShift is OpenShift being is being the commercial version of Kubernetes that Red Red Hat itself supports, uh, and Red Hat was saying, yeah, OpenShift OpenShift can provide you everything you need, and that was the first time we started hearing talk from Red Hat about, yeah, maybe we don't actually need the Docker engine if you have everything else in place. Uh, so, yeah, in answer to your question, it's it goes back to. Um, you know, it, it's the OSI seven-layer seven model of networking. Every layer must be cleanly defined uh, so other layers can build on top of it. And to a certain extent, it's also about commoditization as well. Uh, you want the other company to commoditize its product so you can build value-add on top of that, uh, but you don't want to commoditize your own product because that pretty much gives away the market. And, you know, that's, that's where Docker is now. And to a certain extent, when Red Hat and also when Google, uh, they're fighting for a more commoditized uh, container, then uh, they're doing it because they want operations to run as smoothly as possible with as little interruption as possible. Uh, whereas when uh, you know Docker wants to, you know, they're they've been more than willing to, um, uh, you know, to open source or to standardize a lot of their platform. But they're holding back a little bit just to add in the new features uh, and to keep continuing to innovate uh, aggressively. And that is, I think, a a certain sore point. So Docker has to make the choice, you know, do they want to go towards VMware and just kind of lock down the market or they want to keep things totally open and and then compete against, you know, to be frank, a lot of larger and better equipped uh, competitors at this point. I think also, you know, uh, the technologists will tell you that infrastructure should be boring. And that makes perfect sense, you know, that infrastructure should be boring. You want your plumbing to be boring, right? You don't want your plumbing to be very, very exciting. You You want your plumbing just to work. But, you know, it's taken a long time for plumbing to actually work. And it's taken a long time for, like, you know, um, infrastructure to work that make cities run. If you look at, for example, New York City, some of the original kind of systems for, you know, uh, you know, some of the original kind of plumbing systems, you know, they, they use hollow logs to, you know, to, to, to move water around for drinking. Well, then 
people, well, then the, the logs started to rot and people started to get sick. So they had to like figure that out. And it's, I think that's kind of the, you know, the paradox right now where, you know, infrastructure should be boring, but it's going through a lot of changes right now. So it's not going to be boring really for, for a while because now the applications are really becoming the center of the universe. And if you look at AWS infrastructure, it's really not built for container environments. You know, they have a container service, but the real opportunity, I mean, that I would expect is that you, you know, companies, the big companies, they're going to want to sell compute because compute actually does sell and the networking and storage should go with it. And if you have that compute that you can sell any of the networking storage, but, and if it's more application centric, that that leads to the questions about well, what kind of infrastructure should should I develop? Should it be container based? And I would argue that it that you know that that makes sense. And from the people I talk to, that's that's the direction. And that again speaks to the incredible um, importance of of what we're witnessing right now. We're 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 looking at the the next generation of you know technology development, and it's being defined right now as we speak. I was talking this morning to Sinclair Schuller from Apprenda, who is the CEO of Apprenda, and we were just talk- talking about how we both had empathy for Docker because Docker kicked off this whole container revolution, uh, this container virality, but the business model for Docker, the straightforward business model, there doesn't seem to be a straightforward business model. I I think this is epitomized by the fact that this is a a, a billion-dollar valuation company, and we we have trouble under... We don't know what the business model is. We don't know what the business model that they're striving towards. I mean, that's not necessarily a terrible sign. Like, who knows what Magic Leap's business model is. Um, But, you know... I, I, and I think another way that 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 Docker might potentially be, um, you know, under, undercut is, I mean, if we talk about Kubernetes, um, you know, K- Kubernetes right now, you need to use Docker containers on Kubernetes, but this is not necessarily going to be the case in the future. Maybe, and and if if the OCI. Uh, gains popularity or, or if it, it becomes easier to support or if Docker stabilizes its compliance with OCI somehow, then maybe we'll just be running OCI-compliant containers on Kubernetes. Um, so so I, I just say, say that to preface the discussion of this Twitter dispute between Kelsey Hightower of, of Kubernetes and Solomon Hikes of Docker there was this Twitter dispute that was pretty acrimonious regarding the OCI. It was event- this dispute was eventually resolved, but it was pretty worrying to see this dialogue. Uh, if you're if you're anybody in the community that's hoping for stabilization anytime soon, why don't you explain what the OCI is and what happened in this discussion between Kelsey and Solomon? Oh yes, excellent, excellent. Let me uh, call up. We actually did a story on that. Let me call up the notes on that. But uh, in um, in general, uh, uh, I can't remember how the actual debate had started. Oh, it, it, it was uh, Kelsey was looking around for alternative container engines to Docker. If I is that correct, Alex? And Solomon had said, "No, you're not going to find one." Only the Docker engines provides 100% support, and Kelsey had said, "Well, you know that that's kind of uh, that's kind of uh, problematic if you're trying to build an open source community." Uh, and from there, the debate had, had gone on about to what extent uh, OCI was providing an actual uh, standard, not only for the runtime but also for the image itself. In terms of how much fidelity that uh, companies could trust in that that this was something that'd be worth banking on, uh, in essence. Uh, but at one point, uh, uh, Solomon had uh, derived the OCI image standard as a fake standard. He didn't feel that it was um, uh, it, it, it represented the entire 
oh, oh, the entire image and, and uh, its capabilities, the Docker image and its capabilities. Uh, now, um, this the OCI was originally created with Docker's blessing. In fact, Docker had bequeathed quite a bit of the code over to OCI, including the runtime, the what would become Run C, uh, to use as a standard. But at the same time, Solomon was also saying, well, you know, you'll get 90% of the way there of like run C, but we're always going to have something in addition, uh, in addition to this. Uh, I'm sure I'm, it's been a couple months since, since this uh, exchange took place, and uh, I'll send you the link for the story, but that was basically just of it. Now, what, what is interesting is something that happened uh, today, actually, um, uh, the, near the end of September, is Red Hat announced a project called the OCI Demon, which was to do exactly what you're talking about, uh, and to kind of uh, uh, allow Kubernetes to run uh, containers that uh, run other containers, containers other than Docker's own, and that is uh, uh, that was uh, a first step in moving away from uh, away from the Docker uh, container format. To me, you know, this is the heart of what's happening right now. And if you look at OCI and its history, you know, at DockerCon, I think 2015, Solomon you know, announced OCI. Uh, it was a, then it was called OCF. Um, and, uh, you know, and they, you know, and, and it was really good to develop a, a standard image format and runtime. And that seemed like a necessary thing to do. And I think looking back at it, again, it shows that Docker, you know, for the community, they view it as a component. They want that stability. They want that standard image format and runtime. And Docker, you know, they they listened and they said, okay, we'll do that. Um, so, but that then um, allowed, that, that then allowed, you know, the market, you know, the players in the market, especially the Red Hats and the Googles, to really start to focus on developing the standard image format and runtime. And the question at the time then became, how is Docker going to differentiate itself? You know, how are they going to be actual product? You know, if if you know if if in real if in reality, you know, the Docker open source technology is really a component. And so that's I think where you know the the tensions really were there even before the OCI um, became something. And and I think that's kind of what we saw in this dispute between. Uh, Kelsey Hightower and Solomon Hikes, and I don't even know what's called a dispute, but more of a debate. And really the debate uh, centered on how much Docker should donate of its container technology to the OCI to build a vendor-neutral container image and runtime specification, reading directly from the post that Joe did. And so that's, uh, you know, so that's, I think, you know, a big, a big, a big part of this. Um, again, you know, the product and the component. Now, to be fair, that uh, Solomon in this exchange had said that uh, you know, once the innovation slows down, uh, then Docker's more than happy to hand it off for standardization. But his argument is things are still too new. We still got the, uh, as you said, Alex, the uh, the logs for plumbing, uh, and it's still too early to hand off for standardization. But uh, uh, Google, uh, evidently, as well as Red Hat, were saying, no, it's ready. You know, you need to cut this over and, uh, you know, let us make money off of uh, building uh, <laughs> building larger systems around it. You know, and I think it's also, I mean, I, th I think it's also important to note that that Docker has, I think, $150 million in funding and they're sitting on a big chest and they can sit back a bit. And actually, you know, we published a story just earlier this week or late last week about you know, about Docker Swarm and Docker Swarm actually, you know, according to some is actually doing pretty well, you know, and people are, are, are using it. And, you know, there may be an opportunity for Docker to build that Docker stack. Yeah. In fact, you know, today, I mean, it's who has the, who has the Docker mindshare? It's Docker. Uh, Kubernetes, I, I think Donnie uh, Burkholz um, at uh, 451 had shown, he did some research that shown that uh, Kubernetes is starting to take off 
in production cases. So there is a little bit of movement there, but it's still mar- it's still Docker's market to lose or not to lose. Well, I mean, and and then uh, I, I guess uh, if the if the ease of use from Docker Swarm, uh, I, I mean, this yeah, this is kind of like going back to what I was saying. Like the 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 e- there's the the tension between the ease of use platform and then maybe perhaps the platform that might be the better use case long term, which I don't know may or may not be Kubernetes. Um, I, I guess they're just different. I, I really yeah, and I think this is what you're getting here it gets to the heart of it because I really love the Docker philosophy and you know and the Docker philosophy. You know, you know, and I think it was a said well by one of their evangelists, uh, Shanazon. I, he, I, I don't know if I can't remember his first name, but he talked about you know there's uh, there's um, there's billions of people who are now using the internet, and there are millions of developers now programming to the internet, and that means that we haven't really, we're just getting started because there's so much more to the internet than we know of it today. And so that's going to require deeper abstractions for how you actually develop applications on an internet that might stretch well beyond just the computer that you're looking at today. And so that's going to require new tools and new abilities, you know, for developers who may not necessarily have that computer science degree or maybe not necessarily even know multiple programming languages. Yeah, or even if you do know those things, perhaps you don't care and you just want to like right. get the get the thing up and running quickly. And and uh, yeah. And that's a core and that's you know and, and for Docker, that's one of the things that they're really thinking about. You know, the the ability to program the internet. Right. And this this gets at one of the themes on Software Engineering Daily that has been a hard lesson for me to learn, but I have learned it over time, is the idea of picking winners and having this framing of one size fits all or like, you know, oh, you know, MongoDB or Cassandra or Spark or Storm, you know, who's the winner, Kubernetes or Mesos? It's almost always the wrong framing to be looking at these technologies because they're it's there are always multiple winners. They're always shifting, and there are always trade-offs between the different platforms. You know, oh, is it going to be AWS or Google or Azure? It's no, it's everybody, um, probably in the in the long run. Um, but uh, I digress. Uh, so, how how might this fork actually look? I mean, what what, what if you know if this fork were to happen? What, what what would actually happen? What, how might the fork differ from the current Docker? Well, there you go. That's the big question. I think uh, you know uh, there, there's there's different thinking on this. First of all, right, forks happen all the time, right? You know, like companies, you know, they're they're using open source technology. They may have to fork it themselves just to be able to like service their customers, right? So coding forks, you know, the the forks around the code are not so unusual. What's unusual is when you, the community decides we're going to change this. And this is where you get into issues about the governance itself, uh, who owns a trademark, you know, all these different factors that play into it. Uh, so, so there's, you know, at the extreme, in, in, the extreme, in an extreme case, um, the, uh, you know, a, a faction of the community would say we're going to develop uh, uh, our own, con- you know, our own contained image format and runtime, or we're going to call it... Um, we're going to, you know, we're going to call it a sea change or whatever, you know, you want to call it. Right. And, and that would then be, that would then require it to be managed in a, you know, independently, you know, and with its own trademark and then who, then, but then what is that technology going to be? You know, no one has really been building out kind of an alternative to it, except maybe, you know, the rocket from core OS. So then the question becomes, well, what is what is the role of uh, OCI in all this? And could there be a long-term stable, uh, you know, um, fork, so to speak, uh, that's that comes from within OCI? And I think that's what we saw today in some respects. It's a hint of, of that, right? Where, you know, we you know the the story today really is about this effort. Um, on behalf of really being initiated, and I think, you know, primarily by uh, Red Hat and Google en- engineers who are working on a way for Kubernetes to run containers without Docker. 
And so that means then that, you know, Docker in some respects, at least in this, you know, in, in this context is uh, marginalized. So they can have something that allows Kubernetes to launch containers at scale without having to worry about the stability of Docker itself. Also, you know, provides another, you know, another market advantage for a company like Red Hat and uh, for companies like Red Hat and Google and their and their allies. Um, so, I mean, where would if a fork happened, where would that leave Docker? What, what would Docker be doing under those circumstances? Uh, it depends largely on its customer base and what its customer base is uh, looking for, primarily. Um, it, and uh, a big a big concern in general uh, with these sorts of things is uh, a vendor lock-in. And I know enterprises and other uh, uh, industrial buyers of IT, they worry about being locked in uh, to some extent, though, to the extent that they also have to compete. They also have to weigh that against the fact that they need solutions that work for them. Uh, unlike Google or Twitter, uh, a lot of organizations can't uh, can't hire uh, you know open source uh, gurus to maintain these things. It's not a, it's not even a case of them paying them enough. It's just there's not enough out there, and these uh, developers would tend to gravitate towards the Facebooks and the uh, Googles anyway. So uh, you know a, a big chunk of the IT buying dollar is going to require package solutions where you do all the heavy lifting, where a company such as Docker does all the heavy lifting. So in one scenario, Docker could, it could be like VMware did a few years ago, and they did some open uh, open standard work, but largely VMware captured the a nice chunk of the enterprise market and still uh, profits from that. And there's not a lot of open source going on there. That's one possible route. Uh, but if the customers start to feel, um, I, I guess, start, start to unfeel, feel uncomfortable with the licensing terms or the support models that Docker is offering, then there might be an initiative to move to, uh, you know, competing offerings, which would be easy to spin up given that, well, at least 90% of all this is uh, already standardized. So it could go either way for Docker. It depends on, uh, I guess, how they, uh, how they work with their customer base. This gets into also much larger issues. This now gets into uh, the real strategic direction for Docker, uh, its investors, uh, its role in the open source community. You know how, you know how it will, you know merge from that. I think is the big question. You know, um, what kind of what kind of shifts will this will this cause for Docker in itself, or, or none at all? You know, I think that's what we're waiting for. Has the CNCF weighed in on their thoughts about the Docker fork? Not really. No. I mean, it's uh, not as far as we, we can tell. I mean, I think they're, they're, they're very much aligned with uh, Kubernetes. Uh, and so, so that's, uh, that's kind of a key, you know, factor here. And Docker's a member of CNCF, but Docker's really not active in CNCF. Uh, so, you know, they're they're definitely, I think, a, they're def- definitely a key kind of player in all this. They're they're really focusing on CNCF is focusing on, you know, developing these core technologies for programmable infrastructure, really. And so you're seeing them, you know, adopt things like Prometheus, the monitoring environment. Um, and I think they'll be, and I think they've announced some others too. And, you know, isn't that right, Job? Uh, no, I think uh, Prometheus. Prometheus is the only one so far? Yeah, they have a whole list of other potential doc technologies they may take on, like etcd and FluentD, but nothing's been signed yet. So it's September 22nd today. I think this article about, the, your your first article about the Docker fork, which trended pretty virally. I think that was published a month and a half or two months ago or so. Um, what has changed since then? What is the evolving conversation around the Docker fork since you published that article? Has it heated up? Has it cooled down? What have been the evolutions of that conversation? 
It's, uh, well, it's cooled down a little bit, but something very interesting. I think right about that time, people in the industry started talking more openly about the dissatisfactions with Docker. Up until then, there were grumblings, but they tend to be, uh, they were tended to be kind of completely off the record or, you know, just, you know, trusting with people you know, that sort of thing. But it really came, dissatisfactions with Docker really came out more in the open. Uh, in, it was about, I guess it's been about a month since the article was published. And one of the interesting things that you could, in the talks and in the blog posts, there's always something that I kind of refer to as the Docker clause, which about a sentence or two into whatever uh, dissatisfaction that someone has with Docker, uh, they will point out that like Docker did a great job, you know, building this technology and getting developers on board, but, and then the, the dissatisfaction would continue. But you'll find that in a lot of dissatisfaction. But it, it really, there was a lot of airing of grievances that happened right about that time. I think, yeah, one of the interesting um, results of that, too, is just, I think, for me, is a deeper interest in how open source communities work and how they're managed and how they're structured. And I think this this surfaces a lot of those types of issues. And I think there's more interest in open source than ever before. Um on the behalf of organizations who are trying to build out, you know, applications at scale. And if you're going to build out applications at scale, you need to adopt open source technologies. And with that goes a lot of education into, you know, into the culture of these organizations and how they operate. And that's one of, I think the interesting kind of results of this is, you know, companies are asking more questions. They're like, how does this stuff work? You know, how do you, I, 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 I totally agree with that. I think it's it's a total it's a very unique political situation. Um, I mean, you think about I, 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 my my impression is that there were stuff around you know in HortonWorks and Cloudera were in the throes of battle trying to figure out who was going to win the more of the Hadoop market. I think there was some of this kind of jostling going around, but my sense is, or even like the Node.js fork a while ago. But my sense is that none of that really compares to kind of the stakes of this Docker potential fork, and it makes for a quite an interesting situation. It does. Great. All right. Well, Alex and Job, thanks for coming on the show. I have really enjoyed talking to you. I love the new stack, and I will continue paying attention. Anybody who is a podcast fan who's listening to this, and if you have not checked out the new stack, they have... I think three podcasts, New Stack Analysts, New Stack Makers, and um, what's the third one? We have the New Stack at Scale. New Stack at Scale. New Stack Makers, New Stack Analysts, and Context is a new show. And and I and, and I would just like to say, Jeff, you're doing a fantastic job with your podcast and uh, your uh, you know your preparation and your professionalism and and just the overall quality of your shows is uh, is 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 excellent and uh, and we. Uh, you know, hats off to you for all the work that you've done here. Appreciate it. All right, well, great to talk to you guys. I, uh, I'll i keep in touch. All right, thank great. you. Great, thanks. New Relic is partnering with MLB for the Bases Coded Technology Challenge. Small teams will have the opportunity to hack at the convergence of sports and technology while utilizing proprietary APIs and private data provided by MLB. The finalist teams will be flown to the World Series for an overnight software development competition. Check out more details at basescoded.com.